0: This is Mary Celeste Bell. Welcome to the BlackBerry Podcast, where we'll dive into stories and knowledge of the incredible people that are part of the BlackBerry story. You'll hear from longtime friends, amazing visiting personalities, and our own inspired team members. Chris Thiele is a longtime friend of BlackBerry who has graced the Bramble Hall stage several times with his incredible musical talent. Today, you'll hear our own Andy Chabot talk with Chris about his journey in the music industry and what he's up to now. Enjoy!
1: I'm Andy Chabot, the Director of Food and Beverage for Blackberry Farm in Blackberry Mountain, and I'm here today with Chris Thule. Uh, hey, Andy. Hey, how are you, Chris? I'm really, really good. Well, we're excited. I'm here. We're excited I'm to have you. Uh, so you know, I wanted to talk just a little about you and, and your history and your path, and uh, and what's in the future. Great, because I think that's it's very interesting to to me personally. And you know, I've known you now for twelve years, just oh, about. Man. I think. Yeah, that's right. That first the yeah. the, gathering way, the gathering way on back in the
2: day. Was we that had like a big
1: night. It was oh seven. Oh my goodness! Oh seven it was September oh seven that. Um, So you came, you were really our first musical guest at BlackBerry. I don't know if you knew that. Wow. Uh, And that was in 2007 for an event that we were doing called The Gathering with an amazing group of chefs um, from Thomas Keller's uh, restaurant group and great wines. And and we had a great sort of uh, wine and moonshine soaked Evening, oh my lord! Uh, down at the Yaller Hermit Pavilion, it was it was really a great time. But um, that was my first sort of interaction with with you, and uh, you know, I thought this is this is an amazing person, you know, through the cloud of moonshine and, and everything. And I thought this is such an amazing person, and um and you know, it turns out that you you really are an amazing person. Oh, thank you. I mean, you. and thank I'm not. You. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I'm not I alone felt, in I that. Felt the you know, same. like
2: I, I remember only saying yes to that gig at the time because i'd i'd never eaten keller's food or certainly not met him or anything right. and i i was uh such a of i guess ever since maybe ever since a trip that uh my old band nickel creek mm-hmm. took to france i've been kind of a foodie ever since that trip i was like that was like late teens gotcha. but the but the rest of the interest came along later so the, the food thing was was right in the foreground got gotcha. you um you know the names because I remember Screaming Eagle and Harlan yeah, State were both and there. Mm-hmm. That meant nothing to me. The, the, wow. Okay. The words Blackberry Farm meant nothing to me. It was just like oh, French Keller, Laundry, great. right? Yeah, okay. French Laundry, Keller. That that. All right, yes, I'll do that. I'll go play some mandolin. Yeah, and and, and finally get to eat some of Keller's food, and then show up on the property, just start looking around. um... You know, Sam Bell comes mm-hmm. out with a with a glass of uh, of, of seventy nine Krug. Yeah, and oh, um, man, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And um, and that at the Yallahammer, which oh Lord, if y'all if y'all have never seen it, I got married there. Yeah, <laughs> that's how much I like it. Um, uh, and and my wife Claire as well loves it. Uh, but anyway, seeing that, um, just brought into the forefront of my mind like the importance of of um of beauty and presentation of of content and yes. um and and making people feel good making people feel comfortable like uh, i feel like hanging out with y'all over the years has changed my presentation of my work uh, that that it's so much less to me at this point about me and more about just us as human beings and and um what can what can I do to give us some stuff to listen to, in the way that when I come to Blackberry Farm, uh, the the way that y'all present these good things that human beings make for each other, yeah, um, just very very
1: inspiring mm-hmm. to me. So that
2: yeah. That's awesome
1: 07. wow, yeah, I can, yeah, and I remember that seventy nine Krug as well. Oof. There was some uh, Henri Jayer that night that we also consumed, like out of Magnum. Oh my um, God! See, the, I don't even. Yeah. I, I I was so focused on um, that yeah yeah I
2: was so uh out of it on the wine front the Krug I knew what that was right and I remember uh sitting next to Sam that night and him going here have a taste of this burgundy yeah. that's what that, that's was. What that, that was was J.A. yeah. oh my god do you back remember the vineyard you,
1: uh, It was crow parent too, nine ninety seven. out of magnum yeah um and and you know that was back when you could still get some of those wines you know right. and we were talking about whiskey before this and it's, it's similar you know you forget that those things are going to Sort of not be available someday. Okay. So you enjoy a point in time in and in a, you know, place. Um, to, to continue to sidetrack us. The <laughs> great. Claire and I, Claire and I tasted Chropairon too, uh,
2: know knowingly for the yeah. first time this last. Yeah. Uh, we last summer I guess we went to Burgundy for, oh, for wow. a yeah. hot second to taste and hang out. Um, and it was with um, uh, Jean nicolas Mayo. Mayo. Yeah. Mayo, yeah. yeah. Um, yes and he puts so we're going through the premier cruise yeah and he goes uh you know here, here's some he, he's so uh dry right yeah. like I, mean, yeah. I love the guy Typical, so much yeah and and but his presentation is very measured and level and like you're you, you definitely aren't going to know from his tone of voice if you're tasting something yeah. crazy or not yeah yeah absolutely and so he goes here's some crow and intu- two crow parent too we were with like a couple other americans Um, And we all tasted, oh, this is great. Claire's like, ooh, this one. Let's get some of this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, amen. This is insane. I love it. And then, of course, do a little wine searcher uh, afterwards
1: and realize how difficult that would be. Yes. How difficult in so many ways to get that wine. (laughs) And that's, I mean, that's so amazing, you know, to try mayo's. And I don't know if you've gotten to try Rouget's, Crow Perrin, too. He's the other sort of branch of that. Of the the Jaya family, he's the one that took over from Henri, ah. and now his son is running. So you know, look up some Rouget's as well. Maybe we'll slide some your way. Ooh. So We, you know, it's another one we used to get it. You know, a case of a year, that kind of a thing, and <laughs> oh now we God. get two two bottles. Isn't that um,
2: crazy? So it is nuts.
1: Uh, ugh. I mean, it's nuts. Burgundy is the pappy of wine regions. Yes. <laughs> uh, to to go a slightly different direction, you already sort of mentioned this that. Um, that it's it's about us, you know. Mm. And it, but it seems like from an, a pretty early age, you were very interested in collaborations. Yeah, like it, it seemed like you were always sort of reaching to work with someone else and try something else, and not really totally focused on your own direction and ability. It was it was like you have this this sort of desire to work with others and to branch out. And, and where does that come from?
2: Ooh, I think for me, I, I have this sense that that working with other people is the surest fire way to achieve personal transcendence that, that if you, um, so there's, there's whatever it is that's in you, um, as a, as you know, so I'll speak musically, um, whatever's in you as a, as a creative musician Mm -hmm. that that's in there, it's swirling around. It's, um, let's say that that's yellow and, um, and that the music that's the that you encounter in the world, mm-hmm. um, let's call that blue. Sure. So then, then, them, yeah. then, then that makes green, and that's a new thing. It's like I've already got the yellow, and I feel like I can pretty reliably, yeah, uh, create that yellow for y'all. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> um, and so I'm trying to add more colors to the palette, um, and um, and so the more different people, so you know every. You can follow the analogy. Every everyone that I collaborate with has their own Color. unique mm-hmm. thing um, inside of them, plus all the all the various colors they've uh, accrued during their collaborations. And when we come together with those with those different, you know, but hopefully uh, compatible palettes, I mean, the the possibilities expand immeasurably. And and that's, I think that's why I. I so there's the there's just loving. The company of fellow musicians mm-hmm. um and just and fellow people who are who are making things in general so not um you know since music is what i do best when i when i taste something like that crow yeah. too, um, the way that i can best express my feelings about that is through music, music. um or you know talking to someone like john nicholas uh, about what he's doing or um you know, I had had a really inspiring hang with uh, Elisa Scavino, nice, um, yeah, like a year and a half ago. Where and that's that's still her, um, the way that she looks at making wine um, in the context of of you know her father's work before her and his before yeah, uh, yeah his yeah. work, his father's work before his, um, but then also like the her own personal thoughts about Barolo. Mm-hmm. Um, hearing her talk about that, you know, the responsibility and, and being part of a lineage was really inspiring to me because so much of the time, the focus, uh, amongst musical creatives is, is in, you know, being the great auteur and making yeah. something yeah, yeah, new. Yeah. Uh, and there's less focus on carrying the torch of the great innovations of the past. Um, and I, I remember, uh, so working with someone like, um, uh, Yo Yo Ma, for instance, whose right. whose whose who's Bach has been so inspiring to me for so long, at you know, amidst lots of sure his other work, um, but so that's like that's along the lines of of the traditions that we pass down, um, and and Yo Yo's had a tremendous impact on the way that people play Bach, um, you know, since he played it in his unique Yo Yo way. Amazing, um, right? So there's that combination of of carrying the torch and, and then also, um, helping it burn more brightly, uh, which I think someone like Elisa Scavino does on the wine side of Of things. So all that to say, um, I, I I feel like that human connection, working with other creative people, um, driven people, people who, who, um, you satisfaction and and maybe their own personal transcendence in in the act of like making a thing whatever that happens to be music wine art uh you know film honestly sports like to me watching roger federer play tennis or greg maddox pitch back in the day you know those things Mm -hmm. are all in my uh they're all on that palette that i keep talking about and so like seeing greg maddox throw you know an 88 mile an hour fastball on the, you know, just, yeah. just right here, just right at the knees and like two inches off the plate. And he's like carved out that spot over the course of the game to where the umpire is giving it because he's taken like yeah. two millimeters at a time. yeah, And like yeah, yeah, to the, yeah. where the, in the keeps eighth pushing, inning keeps pushing, keeps pushing and <laughs> like that, that kind of creativity for instance, that watching Maddox do that to me means like, ooh, I can probably, as long as I keep dropping breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. I can do weirder mm-hmm. and weirder, like make <laughs> weirder and weirder musical <laughs> gestures if I can <clears throat> keep bringing people with me. Sure. And we'll accept those two inches off the outside corner yeah. as long as we've mm-hmm. been led there. Right, know? right. Um, so, uh, uh, yet again or there's a massive digression but but like that's that's how I look at working with people is is i, I want to get inside your head and this thing that you do that i love so much like where does that come from and w- so why are you doing it that way um you know i'm i'm seeing it and seeing that it's good but i don't understand it yet and if we can actually make something
1: together i might be able to get in there and add that to my to my palette that's amazing i, I mean that's it really is amazing and to think of it as you know, in all the greats and in what they do and and how they I mean, you said, you know, Yo Yo Ma people play Bach differently yeah. because of the way he did it. Mm-hmm. And and that's an interesting, you know, statement just in itself because I mean Bach has been being played <laughs> for some time and for someone yeah. to come along in, in sort of this era and change the way people play it is is impressive, you know, to me. And I think um, You've certainly had the same effect on the way people play string instruments. Oh, thanks, right. Well, I think you have. And I think, you know, you look at you know, a band like the Punch Brothers and you look at them, you think, this is a bluegrass band. Right. Right. And then you hear, you know, a 40 minute movement uh, from, <laughs> from a bluegrass band. And, and,
2: of quote unquote bluegrass. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: and in tones that are so very different. You no, know, and I think, and I, you know, I, I've listened to you play mandolin for a long time. Your tone has always been very unique to me. You, oh, you nice can hear maybe one note and you're like, well, this is Chris. Ah, uh, thanks. But I think that's, uh, oh, where did that, you know, where'd that come from? You've been mm-hmm. playing mandolin since you were very young. Yes, yes. Uh, <clears throat> and listening to maybe bluegrass and string instruments since you were younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did you find sort of your musical voice along the way? What were you trying to do early on? Was it trying to play in a, a style, mm. or is it? You know, when did you start saying, "I'm more interested to go this way"?
2: Right. Well, so let's see. You're right. It's I've, I've been hearing it for so long. My my folks yeah. are, are big music fans, and so there was always tons of music being played in the house. Uh, at a certain point, they got into into roots music, um, but there was also a ton of of jazz and classical music being played in the house um, to the point where None of it really seemed different to me. Like where where I, I I think already at that point the lines were being blurred between those interesting. Ostensibly okay. different aesthetics. Um, you know, that I started hearing more similarities and differences at a certain point. Um, you know, if it's if it's all being played and you and at least your folks aren't going like, and this is jazz, and here's right. why. Right, right, right. This is classical, and here's why. It's just Then all you're just going to be hearing a bunch of music. Yeah. Um. And uh, and also as a child of of public radio, I mean, it was like on from morning to night. Yeah, sure. There was also you know, uh, just a lot of music would get played uh, throughout the the day, and then and then, um, my folks started taking me to this to a pizza place in Southern California where there was live bluegrass every Saturday. And nice. so even though there was this uh, incredibly broad swath of various musical aesthetics being played in the house, what I actually saw being delivered was, again, sort of a a, a blurry version of bluegrass. And it was Southern California, so right. th- nothing is that, you know, pure. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure, speaking. sure yeah. It's it's all bumping around all the other stuff that's a, that's around. and, and um, But it was aesthetically much the way that Punch Brothers looks like a bluegrass band, yeah. and then whatever it is is a little bit right. more complicated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, or undefinable, maybe. Yeah, yeah. or
2: blurry. And... Uh, <laughs> uh and so it was it was a little bit that way with this band they they, but they played at a pizza place it was very casual super kid friendly i was two when we started doing that so i would tear around no one was i i I have no recollection of anyone ever saying like don't
1: run don't scream get your kid out of here yeah it was
2: just like it was crazy and there was a pizza place and and the kids were there was loud video games in the back and in the middle of like uh (laughs) of um oh i don't know uh Long Black Veil or something, sure, you know, sure. like some beautiful ballad, there would be someone saying like, number 47, your pizza's ready. <laughs> you know, right in the middle. She walks these hills <laughs> in a long, bla- you know, it's yes. just, just like craziness. Um, People like carrying pictures of beer to the the, the tables. It was just Sounds a wonderful, awesome. yeah, yeah, a wonderful place for a kid to experience live music. Um, and the leader of that band was a mandolinist, uh, gotcha. John Moore. And, And I started taking. So, my parents realized at a certain point, like this kid is just not ever stopping pretending he's playing music. Like I would have a soup, like a soup ladle would be my saxophone, and a like this tennis racket would be my mandolin. I would pretend the tennis racket was John Moore's mandolin. Right. Um, And John was a uh, is a really charismatic guy, and so I think that that my uh, gravitation towards the mandolin was actually more about him as a person, uh, just being like a a really interesting, um, you know, funny. He was like a funny band leader, sure. Always jokes and and
1: the um, showman. Yeah, yeah, he was a
2: showman, and but also a great player. And his. Uh, main gig for a while they were they were kind of he had he was like a two-headed person one one played the mandolin in this bluegrass band Mm -hmm. and the other trained horses eventually he became one of the one of the the world's most sought after horse trainers so you can imagine this super headstrong uh cocky little kid which is what i was Mm -hmm. um trying to play the mandolin and being taught by a horse trainer, it was yeah, really good. I can believe. I can see how that could go. Yeah, because yeah. John was not having my headstrong cockiness. Yeah. he was like, "No, nah, you're gonna have to learn how to do this and slow down, man. You got to do it right before you do it fast." Sure. And um, and so his first first. Uh, his leadership, uh, his sense of the the importance of dotting your I's, crossing your t's, making a clean, beautiful sound, um, starting there, sure. and then adding the seasoning to that. But mm-hmm. like here, start with a very clean, pure fundamentals sound. first. Yeah, fun- mm-hmm. exactly. It was like fundamental, good fundamental. Uh, he, it was almost like he was coaching me uh, the way one would coach an athlete. Right. So here, let's get you figured yeah. out here. Here's how it's done.
1: Exactly. And
2: he would be very rare at that point in having a way that the mandolin is done. I mean that this stuff still hasn't codified really the way that violin or really? piano or even guitar, uh, as young as that is comparatively, has um, you know sort of uh, congealed into the here's how it's done and there's a there's a way and, right. and it's, so for violin it's like. Here you can go all the way back to to um, you know, you go back to Paganini as far as sure. and, and, yeah, yeah. and before that, certainly legendary Baroque violinist composers like Tartini and here's hmm. here's the virtuoso virtuoso piece. And so you can trace three, four hundred years of, of great violin playing. And yeah. with Mandolin, though the instrument is certainly that old, it as a uh, it it only really became modernized. Uh, in I you know for my money, like in the 1920s when the the Lloyd Lore mandolin yeah, yeah. was developed, like that that's a very versatile instrument that plays very in tune and um, uh, is is it is, is louder, like can be yeah. played with others. Sure, <laughs> you sure. know it's not still not loud, um, but it's louder. So uh, anyway, so so my initial concepts of the instrument come from John, and okay. then. Um, he would always make sure I was um, listening to other instruments. So I okay. think that that when you're playing a relatively unexplored instrument, it's imperative that you not confine yourself to the study of that instrument, but rather to the study of music uh, and instruments in general. Hmm. um much the same way that I, you know, I think, for instance, Angelo Gaia going outside of
1: of sure. Piedmont. Absolutely, to, to expand to say, like, the horizons of that yeah. region. What barrels are they using? What you know? Yeah, you can really draw a, a parallel to wine through history. I think totally, totally you know, to what you're saying. That makes a lot. And chefs that you know, um, maybe their restaurant is is a certain style of food. Mm-hmm. They should go look at other foods to see where they fit in and totally. what little bit of preparation or technique they might take from a different cuisine or a different chef. You know if you only do your thing that's you know it gets narrower and narrower which is yeah. a tough word but you know <laughs> it's a tough word no that's
2: exactly uh, that man I, I and i think we see it um we we see it all over the place with these um these exciting yo-yo always talks about how the the they're the most um uh how does he how does he always put it that it's like the highest pro- pro- proliferation of life, um, or the most life forms exist in regions where climates are um, are coming together. Sure. So like the where where various kind of like ostensibly different climates where they meet where each they meet? other. That's where the explosions of life happen. Huh. Um, the most different kinds of life. Right. Right in those yeah. areas. Most and I think yeah. we see that in food, and I I think we we uh, so much of wine has. You know, we we think of. I mean, look at the Barolo Wars right now, where where um, there's so much emphasis placed on on traditionalism Tradition, yeah. in yeah, yeah. in in Barolo, and I th- I, mean, I think it's wonderful that, that 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 torch has been is being carried and is shining so brightly right now. Um, I think that's awesome because we did probably swing too far the other way. Yeah. But at the same time, we do we should always be pushing forward and we should you know never throw the baby out with the bathwater of course but but we but i remember talking to winemakers in Mm -hmm. piedmont going you know bless that time when growers started going outside of the region because yes the large casks are amazing but they were all rotted yeah
1: they were dirty Uh, you know like
2: like we were making spoiled wine yeah, yeah and and um you know and so now uh even though the you know we, we talk about the traditionalists right uh, in hallowed tones, but they actually have taken the great le- lessons from the modernists and applied them to the traditional techniques and have come up with wine that's that's made
1: that even yeah and sort of you know the pendulum has to swing too far sometimes right you know because then it can swing back to a good place but you won't, you won't know that you're in a bad place till you get there you know or in a totally. place you know so you have to kind of go past it and see what's there and if, and then come back, because, I mean, sort of push it and, and give it pressure and, and then see, like, okay, well, that's not what I was going for, so let's go back. That was good. I liked what we were just doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and but, the same, the exact same
1: with music. The similarities
2: are always uh, very striking
1: to me. Um, that's an, is that, do you think, why you are drawn so, I mean, you know, you're, you're such a foodie you, you love wine, you can talk about whiskey and, and love, you know, the great producers of the world. Um, I mean, you spend time in Piedmont and mm. Burgundy and such, um, like if I just met you and we were just talking, I think this is a great sommelier That I'm talking to, <laughs> you know I mean? It is like, in, <laughs> I, I mean, learned so much from you, dude, uh, it's nice, view, but, um, I mean, do you, do you, are you drawn to that because you find the similarities or are you just interested in a lot of things because that's how your mind works?
2: Well, there's I, some of both I, I, I'm inclined towards obsession just generally yeah but um, but there's <laughs> so much fuel for that in yeah. in particularly the world of wine, I think sure. just uh, um, and so many similarities and uh, and so many people that always seem to me like, oh, you could have for one, you meet a lot of musicians who love wine, you meet a lot of yeah. winemakers who love music. Uh, and a lot of people in the world of wine who love yeah, very you know, songs drawn to and, music and and, yeah. and um, beverage directors. Yes, yeah. there's. It's just it seems like there's a very fine line separating the endeavors, and um, and so I do think uh, that there might be there's like a suspicious amount of parallels. The yeah, I so I, that, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so, so I like like, almost
1: too much smoke yeah, not to be fire, right? Exactly. Yeah.
2: So I I really think that. Um, there's just a lot of fuel for the fire yeah. um for for my musical fire in in the close the close inspection of the wine world gotcha.
1: um yeah gotcha let's i'd like to talk a little about the arc of your again you know sort of the arc of your musical you know career if i can you know so early on you you were listening to a lot of different musics styles of music that is and and didn't really see the lines you know and and um and then you started playing mandolin and listening to a lot of music and taking lessons. And then you won kind of like a big competition when you were like twelve or thirteen. Wow! Yeah, the right? Winfield,
2: Yeah, the Winfield okay. Championship. Right.
1: Did, did you know that was like was that a watershed moment for you, or was it? Did you not feel that, or did you feel that? I did. Okay. I, I actually,
2: I actually did. Um, again, just such a such a uh, reprehensibly self aware young person. Uh like such a kind good of way felt, to put like, it. felt like it was a thing. And yeah. up to that point, up to winning that that competition, I think I still had a little bit of that um you know, the young person's like, I could do this or I could do this. Yeah. And the playing music was part of that. Sure. And playing and writing music was was part of that. But, um, but so it was baseball. Like at that right, point, right. I still had some, like maybe I'll be a pitcher, yeah. Um, and uh, and I think I playing and was always pretty good at playing baseball, but but I think winning that contest helped me. Come to terms with the fact that maybe when I would put gas in the music tank, the, the, in,
1: the, go the, whole, yeah, the yeah. vehicle will go
2: further and faster gotcha. Gotcha. than when I would put gas in the baseball tank. Yeah,
1: uh, I mean, that's that's pretty I mean, that's pretty aware in general at that age to, to know <laughs> that to put the whole thing in context where like was 13 a normal age? To win hmm. that, or are there are people of no. all ages in that competition. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. There was no, um, it wasn't like a children's competition. No, it was, right? it was
2: all ages, um, and and at the time, you know, the kind of the biggest mandolin competition um, in the states. Uh, it, you know, there's that's not, amazing. there's not a, there's not really a. Um, again, it's mandolin, but so that's biggest does, and only competition, like, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, there's oh. like there's there are a, uh, a sure, lot of sure. them like around but they're you know pretty, that was the one that was the, the one. one and yeah. you get this fancy new mandolin and um that's might have been one of the first times i was on the on the cover of a, a paper nice <laughs> it was the you know the winfield gazette or whatever it's called I, I don't remember but but at the time it seemed like a big deal to me you know um and we had we had been heading also, so we were going to do the Winfield that's in Kansas. Mm-hmm. We were going to do that and then go out to the International Bluegrass Music Association convention, which was mm-hmm. at the time in Owensboro, Kentucky, and, and I played with a bunch of um, bunch of uh, other young kids out there. Um, and again, it was just one of those sort of identity establishing trips. So the the contest was one thing and then there was that convention. Right. Um and so I think after that summer, um that that kicked off me feeling like I am for sure a musician. I'd been studi- you know, studying right. at that point pretty seriously and practicing a lot from the time I was five up to that moment, but it wasn't it wasn't like I'm for sure a musician, musician yeah. this
1: is what I'm doing with my life until that summer. So at that point you saw your trajectory You saw that. Yeah. You know, the different branches went away and you had, you had one in your opinion. I'm going to put all the gas into this tank. Yeah. And did, did you meet the Watkins through, that's their name, right? Yeah. Sean and Sarah, Sarah, yeah. Did you meet them there or did you know them in their family for a long time? I met them at that, the aforementioned pizza place. Okay. Actually.
2: Gotcha. Uh, When I was, oh boy. Uh, So I met Sean and Sarah when I was six which would have been a year after I started taking lessons from John Moore, the okay. guy who wow. was okay. playing that gig, um, and uh, Sarah and Sean. So Sean was taking lessons also from John. Okay, uh, he was ten at that at that time, and Sarah was taking lessons from the fiddle uh, slash banjo player in that band, <laughs> Dennis Kaplinger. Um, and so, so we were just we we would play we'd like play balloon volleyball alternate between playing balloon volleyball and kind of like one ear on the music yeah um you know one ear on establishing dominance in balloon volleyball and (laughs) and then um and then going back into this little hallway that led to the bathrooms at the pizza place to play fiddle tunes and things like that and then eventually john and dennis would invite us up and of course all the you know the people hooping and hollering; these little yeah, tiny kids. people on stage And this weekly bluegrass, uh, and that seemed like such a big deal to us. So sure. Nickel Creek formed during that time. I see. Um, uh, I guess maybe two years, two or three years later, we played our first gig. So I was I was eight, uh, Sarah was eight, and Sean was twelve, and um, you know, like a little bluegrass festival or whatever in Southern California. That's amazing. And then, but they uh, we kind of developed in that. Um during that same time I'd say Sean and Sarah were having those kinds of moments as well where it's like, maybe I'm just a musician, maybe that's what I'm right doing. Um, you know, up to that point where we made the f- first record, the first record that, that anyone knows about. <laughs> um there were plenty before that. Um when when Sarah and I were eight, seventeen, Sean was 21. That, that, 17, that's twenty one. That, that was that, that self titled
1: uh, first Nickel Creek record Got gotcha. you.
2: so it was like it was like a pretty as far as Nickel Creek's evolution that was a pretty steady thing it was kind of in your um,
1: life for a long time in, in my
2: life for a long time and then you know that that moment that we were just talking about with the Winfield thing and um, that that summer that was like a really big deal for me personally but you know for Nickel Creek that was just, again Huge. this kind of slow steady evolution um,
1: for for us yeah yeah so then so you were with Nickel Creek until until i mean how long it seemed like maybe what two 2000 and
2: oh right the, when did you we went, went it was kind of the same hiatus sort of started in i feel like that was oh oh actually it was pretty concurrent with the blackberry trip my so first six, Black, so six probably or seven. Oh, seven that makes yeah. sense um because all had initially asked Creek to do that. Oh wow, but okay. Animal Creek was kind oh. of like we're kind of in a in weird our last, spot. We're like you. in our last little group of gigs and not sure we wanted to just come together and do that. Um, but we never really disbanded so much as we'd been doing stuff for so long
1: and yeah. I think
2: needed to. Yeah, you're starting to feel your adults. different pole yeah. and,
1: you know, and yeah, people change, right? Right. And, and so. we needed to become, like, needed to establish identities outside of that project. Right. And you were, you know, we were talking about collaboration. You were working with other people doing solo things, and it seems like almost at that same time you kind of found a band of people to play with that maybe later became the Punch Brothers. Is that true? Were you starting to sort of put those pieces together?
2: Yeah, totally. And where did, uh, you,
1: where did you come in contact with these? I mean, to, to digress a little bit, one of my favorite sort of videos on the banjo I've ever seen is just a little clip. It's not instructional in any way, but it's of Noam Pakelmi and Steve Martin yes. on uh, a show. And Steve's um, giving him an award or something along those lines. Uh, That's the Letterman uh, thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And he just, you know, they're doing this sort of back and forth type of thing. And, you know, gnome just goes off in this sort of gnome way. And I was like, this this guy's amazing, too. I mean, if you listen to any of the musicians in that band, you, I mean, what a group of... In my opinion, musical geniuses on their own. Where did you all come in contact? Like, was there like a place where musical, you know, geniuses hung out? <laughs> Is that how that worked? Well, so um, thank you for one. Um, I met so I met Gabe Witcher, sure,
2: who's the fiddle player in Punch Brothers. He and I met way long ago at one of these southern california bluegrass festivals i was seven i think oh wow um so i've been playing for two years he was two years older than me and had started playing when he was four so he was a little further along in his uh development but we <laughs> met we met then he was playing with his dad's bluegrass band and they would put him on a chair so he would be the same <laughs> height as everyone else uh, it was a it was a riot yeah um and and weirdly, he was also like a regular guest on the Smothers Brothers show. Of course, And yeah. then As was, one does. Um, as one does, and was a, a recurring character in the sitcom Webster. It's weird. <laughs> weird, weird. Uh, Amazing. Uh, the more you know. But uh, so he and I had been friends forever. Okay. Um, he so he would have been one of the kids that Sean, Sarah, and I were hanging out with at all these Southern California bluegrass okay. festivals, and he and I had always talked about ah, oh, sometime we got to do something together. Um and round about the time that I got I so I had um got married really young, super ill advisedly, that thing just completely exploded gotcha. in my face. It was kind of the first Real life thing that ever happened to me up to that point, it was just like a bunch of mandolin and happy times. Right, and happiness, and you know, the world's great. The world's great, and everything is, everything's just sort of been built for me. Right, right. (laughs) And and suddenly there's like an explosion, and I'm, um, you know, the bird bird child starts shutting some of the fires. Uh, And the same thing had happened to him, uh, uh, and Nickel Creek was making a record called Why Should the Fire Die, which was kind of our first. Mature record, okay, I feel, yeah. and uh, we were all in L.A., uh, kind of, basically working the musician equivalent of nine to five, which is noon to midnight. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> making this record, and 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 then Gabe and I started hanging out, talking about, oh, my heart is yeah. broken, mine too. <laughs> Let's. That that was actually one of the first times I started. But that was like one of those steps towards wine fanaticism. Oh. He and I would. It was this just feeling sort of reckless. How much money can we spend on a bottle of yeah. wine tonight? Because yeah, like, all of a sudden, crazy. no one's relying on us for anything. Yeah.
1: And like. That great period between being a child and being an adult kind <laughs> of thing exactly. where you like, let's, let's see what's happening out let's there. Let's see yeah. what's
2: happening. And, and so, just ordering whatever seemed like the craziest bottle on some. Some list. steakhouse list or and, and going, ah, oh, this one, but not this one. You yeah. Know, sort of sort of those cool though. moments in between, you know, commiserating about the heartbreak. Uh and we started getting more serious about we should do something. Yeah. Uh and what kind of a thing should it be. And then I I met and it turns out re met. Um, because I don't remember our initial <laughs> you, meeting, yeah. which he'll never let me live down, but no. re met Noam McKelney okay. at the uh at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, which gotcha. is uh, definitely one of those places where a bunch of uh, serious sh- string band musicians hang out and kind of meet each other. Right. I think a lot of bands have formed from the Telluride Festival. From yeah. the Telluride Festival. So I met Noam, and just like like you did when you saw that thing on Letterman, yeah. my mind was blown. It's like, what is this guy doing? This seems like, uh, you know, one of the, in the way that Bela kind of reimagined yeah. that instrument, Bela Fleck. Uh, it, it felt to me like Noam. Wow, this is a very significant installment in the banjo's yeah. adventures. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like and uh, and so I called Gabe the next day with like Noam and I stayed up yeah. until seven in the morning just playing yeah. tunes and like alternating between like fiddle tunes and Radiohead songs and things like that. Um, so you know, really uh, exploring the this this new kindred spirit and yeah. and and what what he had at his disposal and like that he would suggest like, Hey, do you know paranoid Android from right, Okay right, Computer, right, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And then also Fisher's Hornpipe. You know? Yeah. You're like, um, that must've been
1: an interesting oh, session. It was, it
2: was so fun. Um, uh, what I, what I didn't know until later is that he actually ended up spending the night on a park bench that night. Like I, <laughs> like, <"All> right, <laughs> then but then he by, by night you his... mean the early morning. Yeah. Like, he yes. couldn't, or, yeah right. He like slept for three hours or whatever on the park bench before he could get back into his room. It was a whole thing. um, so so i called gabe that morning saying i met this guy his name is noam and uh and he said dude i just played on his record yeah i just played on so so that you know okay that was a i said man he should probably be a part of this thing we're talking about right Right. and he said yes absolutely and that jogged my so at that point if it was a fiddle player a mandolin player and a banjo player pretty much looked like it was going to be a string band which had not been a given sure uh, up to that point it was like i was even maybe thinking let's let's get away ahead. from that right let's play some rock uh, or let's... yeah let, let me plug this thing in and see <laughs> sure. what <happens> or whatever <laughs> yeah. um but but when i had that experience with with gnome um new gabe skill set going like well maybe we can we'll start let's start with the string band and see what we can make it do right and uh, since we all know it kind of inside and out at this point um or at least thought we did. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and so then my mind goes to guitarist, bassist. Like, let's round right. it out. Yeah. Let's start with the trad ensemble and do crazy things with it. So um, I thought of Chris Eldridge, mm-hmm. um, which I, who I met at, a, at the sister festival to the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, which is the Rocky Grass Festival in okay. Lyons, Colorado, yeah, outside yeah. of Boulder, um, which we could bring full circle with a Bobby Stuckey.
1: Yes. Talk. I think so probably
2: I went to, to Frasca for the first time um, doing that festival. Really? Yeah. Like, like someone early said, on, Hey, like... you gotta go to Fraska. Mike Marshall, great mandolinist, yeah, yeah. but also one of my food uh mentors, uh, as like he's an incredible amateur chef, would would uh would go and cook at Chez Panisse, like wow, trading like... mandolin and guitar lessons with uh Cal Peternel, who was the head gotcha. chef at uh yeah, yeah upstairs at the cafe for a long time and then at the restaurant later um but he would trade cooking lessons for mandolin and guitar lessons with cal and cal eventually let that's him awesome. like cook at Chez Panisse, like put him on the line chopping carrots or Love whatever it.
1: that's um, amazing so he he said so he said you, should way, go to,
2: you gotta go to frasca
1: and this one must have been was it early on in frasca because they're 15 years in now I think. yeah yeah so it was early so this was
2: very yeah pretty early Can't on you?
1: Um, and Bobby's a great like loves music as well. You know, you talk about those sort of uh, similarities. He's, yeah,
2: he's one of those guys. Like, I love his kind of weekly. Vi- we're, yeah. we're opening this bottle and listening to this vinyl. Exactly. I, I, I love getting the, the updates on what he and Donat are doing uh, <laughs> on Instagram. But but so I thought I thought back to Critter and I had filed him away as like Critter. if I ever need a yeah Chris Eldridge, um, <laughs> they don't call me Chris either by the way what do they we, call you we, no, we, we
1: can't go into it
2: okay
1: <laughs> i know about a pickles and a critter in the band so yeah, i mean there's there's every there's everything you. um with various
2: repeatability um <laughs> so um so i i had filed critter away in my my list of like i would yeah. really love to make some music with with this person um and you know there's always like a kind of a long list yeah. in my head at any one moment and uh and noam knew critter really well so there was that there was that connection and so then i told gabe and then um and then uh noam recommended this this guy greg garrison who was the first bass player um and then when he departed i had met uh paul at an edgar edgar meyer had this workshop at carnegie hall that he had me come up and teach at for, for a day and i met paul there and was he went instantly into the fight, like front yeah. and center in that fight. Yeah. Like, oh man, gotcha. I really want to do something with that guy at some point. And when Paul joined the band, that was when
1: I think it formed. It really Punch
2: Brothers really crystallized into the thing that it is.
1: Yeah. No. And that whole process took what a year, two years. Oh, I mean. that
2: took. Let's see. Yeah, probably to get to where there were the five of us with Greg. Yeah. That was like a a year or two. Okay. And I I started writing that the thing that you mentioned before yeah, yeah. the forty minute yeah thing and four part yeah yeah that thing. Uh, I started writing that then, and when we performed that for the first time, that was kind of like the end of this, of the, you know, the developing the concept phase, but pretty much right from the start of the rehearsal period, we realized, ooh, maybe we want to do this, yeah, like a lot, and and not do the other things that we're doing and focus on this for a while. Um, So then when Paul joined the band, I think that was maybe two years after that, or maybe a year after that. So from the I think probably three years total from the gotcha. from me meeting no re meeting Noam and asking <laughs> Gabe if that was the thing we should do to yeah. Paul joining the band probably gotcha. a
1: three year and and where process. did you first showcase your new what I would the call new. your new sound I mean I think when you when you all came out it was like string instrument music has been changed forever kind oh, of I mean Thank it was you. really like wow the possibilities are are. More endless than we had thought, or than everyone had thought, and that was interesting to uh, me. So, but well, where did that so first of Like,
2: uh, for that, um, so the first time we played in public was at this little bar in the West Village called uh, the Bagget Inn, it's the Bagget Inn, the Bagget Inn. I think it might be called Zinc Bar now or That's, something. But were it's you right. living
1: in New York at the time? Yeah,
2: okay. I, I, I had moved, so along with that whole you know, the 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 love explosion. <laughs> <laughs> Love exploding in my face, and uh, so I, I, I left California and gotcha. and, um, and came to uh, to the New industry. York. I and I, I'd always had in the back of my mind, the, the, one of my early. So let's see. I was living in Nashville. I was maybe eighteen, and uh, Dolly Parton asked if I would be uh, the mandolin player for this record, Little Sparrow. Oh, um, and wow. so oh man, it was a it was one of the great experiences of my life but so she flies me up to New York it was like for the press there was sure. this press surrounding the release of Little Sparrow and and so I'm this I'm just so green yeah. I mean I was the greenest of the green and uh, and she flies me up land in LaGuardia and there's like yeah. a limo waiting a limo a big waiting moment. for me yeah 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 and and uh, the limo takes me to the Essex house nice yeah and, and so I'm just like Again, eighteen. I haven't done
1: anything, man. Yeah. At the time, did you, you go to Alain Ducasse's restaurant? At, oh, I bet they, you.
2: I, so that I never got to go to. I never got to go to to okay. that restaurant. Um, it wasn't open yet. I don't think at that point. Okay. And then it closed. And already, then it closed uh, like not bad. that long after it opened, yeah. right? Or like a couple. Yeah, it wasn't or there for too terribly long. Yeah. Um, no, I, I really wish I had
1: <laughs> at that point. Uh, it, that's, it wasn't on in in what you were doing at that point, huh? right? right. Okay.
2: No, I wasn't. But I but I got as the limos like kind of weaving from LaGuardia to yeah. to the Essex house and I'm kind of starting to look up at the big buildings in Manhattan. I go, I got to live here at some yeah. point. This oh, cool. is like, like, oh, uh, I still <laughs> kind of feel like I was, I was like born a New Yorker in Southern California Yeah, and it just took me a little
1: while to figure it to, out. To get there. <laughs> sure.
2: With, with, you know, with a significant portion in Nashville, uh, between those two things okay. and then the tiny bit in the Bay Area. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah. so punch when when I met when I met those guys I was living in New York and I think that had a little something to do with 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 what punch brothers became just that the energy of the city that and and that sense that um it, you know you never feel special when you're hanging out in New York. Yeah, yeah. You know exactly you, you, you can, you really, you're a
1: little thing in a big thing at yeah, that point. Yeah. You're
2: such a small fish. Yeah. And um and y- you kind of feel like you 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 got to leave it all on the table just to keep up or or, right. or not be swept away by by the city, the you know kind of the roaring rapids of the city. And, right. And and so the boys, the boys and I would work all day in my tiny little apartment. We were all yeah. staying there too. It was like a, a one bedroom apartment,
1: all five of us plus an engineer, gotcha. like it's staying like, on sleeping bags. I get it. It, it. Sounds it, like a group of line cooks or something. You know, like that kind it's of very thing. Very similar, right?
2: Yeah. And so we're just in the East Village, and and since. There wasn't any room to hang out, to do anything but rehearse and sleep in my apartment. So we would just go out into the city at night and find things like this bluegrass jam at the right. Baggett Inn on Wednesday nights. Um, and the guy who ran that that jam, Sheriff Uncle Bob, what a character, man! He's Sheriff, Uncle, Sheriff Bob. Uncle Bob. Sheriff Uncle Bob, whose <laughs> whose dad was like a former, I think, principal cellist in the New York Phil, and his mom was like Picasso's primary art dealer in north america yeah. so then you go to his house I mean, there's all these picassos hanging up like, everywhere i mean
1: really only in new york
2: you're only like, in new york and the guy runs this bluegrass jam puts on a sheriff's badge and plays the dobro and sings i again only in new york wow but so we started rehearsing at his like little guest slash studio yeah, area yeah. and he invited us to put on a little show like he starts hearing the stuff and like here you guys should do yeah. a thing and and like why don't we do it why don't we do it at the bag it in on a different night and and uh so that was the first that was wow. the first thing that we had to do
1: Bob. did you feel in the crowd did they feel like whoa like when i say cry i mean i don't know how big yeah it was
2: the, probably probably 60
1: 70 people yeah, jammed into this little yeah. bar
2: uh yeah i think was it, it sort felt, of like, it felt like something oh man yeah. It felt like something. And that's I cool. the, you know the, the New York uh acoustic music scene is is uh it's well it's not even that small. It's thriving. Yes. There's a lot of a lot of really devoted people and I think because of the craziness of the city, um the intensity of the devotion is increased by that. That's you know cool. feeling like you're doing something that's counterculture somehow. Uh yeah, so it, it did there was a lot of energy in the room that night. It felt like something and the boys and I got done that night going like, Yeah. I think we, I think, I think there's enough here to, to really lean into it. Gotcha.
1: That's, I mean, it's amazing. And really, I do think personally, and and it's not only my personal feeling, but you know, music was changed, you know, I think string music particularly, and then, so you, you know, Kept going on. I think somewhere in there you did put out a bluegrass duo album with someone, right? Yeah, with Michael Dames, with Mike, who yeah. I met
2: at that jam.
1: Really? At the at the Bag It In Sheriff a, Uncle Bob jam. That's so cool. I mean, it's amazing, you know, to think about, you know, doing, you can do that and you can do this other thing, right? Um, and then you went on a trajectory with that, you know, with that band and toured. And so that was like 2009, 2008, yeah, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still playing with the Punch Brothers. Um, you got back together a little bit with Nickel Creek yes. at one point, right? Yes,
2: and now that and now the Nickel Creek thing is pretty open ended. You know, we, yeah, it's we like keep... you can
1: get together if you want, and exactly, that's great. I mean, that's that's neat that you can sort of. I have friends like that too, where I can just not see them for a decade and then see them and pick up the conversation.
2: It it and really it felt exactly like that, where you didn't have to do, you didn't even have to, and of course we've been hanging out as friends the whole time, um, but you know between the. Us kind of having our little hiatus and coming back to make uh, a, a record called A Dotted Line, um, so we we knew what was going on in right. each other's lives, but <clears throat> musically to actually sit down and and make something it really did feel like we just picked right, right up, back up where yeah. where why, uh, that record Why Should the Fire Die left off, um, and you know I fully expect that we'll do another yeah. thing um, before too long, and there's there's Nickel Creek feels like. Um, it's like how we talk about family and friends, and there are things that um that we share with our family, yeah, that we only share with our family um there's that you know blood's thicker than water and and um you know for better and for worse, you don't choose your relatives, you right, know, you can choose your friends, you can't choose your relatives and um and I feel that with with Sean and Sarah in the best way that like we didn't really choose we were so young it didn't feel like a choice we just we did it and it wasn't that our parents made us do it or anything but it was just kind of fell into that yeah and there's that sense of inevitability in that collaboration um that that still you know makes it, it makes it unique in my experience that that is like making music with my family and punch brothers it's like we chose to do that very right. specifically chose to do that and and so there are those things that you only share with close friends, right. and, um, and uh, both of those relationships are essential, I think, uh, in our experience of life, like the, the relationships that we have with our family, the relationships we have with our friends, they're, v- they're very different, similar in some ways, different in most
1: ways, and, and equally important. Wow. And, and like I guess none of this was enough for you, so... I mean, I mean, I think it, there's always something turning in your head, right? And so, um, uh, uh, Garrison from Her yes. Home Companion was leaving, right? Yep. You'd been on the show a few times. Yep. Uh, and, and you grew up a professed NPR, uh, Total listener, geek, family, yeah. geek, um, which has another interaction, you know I mean? But I'll, I'll bring that up in a minute, but, uh uh, so, so you got anointed, I suppose, or, or decided on to be the the next host of this the show that had been sort of around for a long time. Everybody on Sunday, if you know, I remember working in my first restaurant job making pasta, listening to Prairie Home Companion. Really? Yeah, um, because it was quiet on Sundays in the restaurant, and I could come in early. Yeah, and I, you know, I was young, like sixteen, you know years Ooh. old working in this restaurant making pasta which is actually a cool restaurant because they had a string instrument store upstairs and we they had sh- live shows too so i got to see people like Bela and allison krauss and people i didn't know Where who they were that? at that was in dublin new hampshire Whoa. Yeah, just a little stop along the way for a lot of people but it, it was it was part of a different network uh, yeah. i think and it was um like Beppe Gambetta, guitar player. I was like,
2: who was also a great chef. Yeah, and yeah. Beppe so they was come. one of the guys who inspired Mike yeah. Marshall to
1: cook. Yeah, I mean, it's that's cool to hear. I didn't okay. No. Um, well, so I got to see all these great people. But you know, I was listening to Prairie Home Companion, and then you know, is for me, it's very interesting. You know, this sort of full circle, you know, thing and cyclical thing. But um, uh, so, so you were on the show some, and then you got to sort of take it. Over that must have been sort of like, I don't know. It sounds like a lot of pressure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, because <laughs> there's so much man. history. It and still looks crazy. It's sort of like now let's go a different. Let's do let's do it this way. Yeah, you yeah. Know.
2: So Garrison called me out of the clear blue sky. I had never felt like I was being groomed for the sure. position or anything. Other than he he definitely kept calling and having me sit in with their house band um, or the various projects. Punch Brothers would be a featured sure. musical guest or. Uh, Prairie Home Companion was the first national exposure that Nickel Creek ever got. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. It was. It was following the our Prairie Home Companion um, guest appearance kind of catalyzed all that the craziness that hmm. happened with the first Nickel Creek record. Um, it went from just doing what bluegrass records do, which is in essence nothing. Right. <laughs> and, Sit on a shelf. Yeah. yeah, sitting on a shelf, and you sell it at your gigs, right. you know, At festivals, and that's kind of the, its life. Um, uh, we played Prairie Home Companion. All of a sudden, the record like shot up on the That's Amazon. So cool. Remember at that yeah, time, yeah. the Amazon bestseller list was kind of like yeah, the list, th- the thing. Yeah. And um, but and and actually, it was the first national exposure that I ever got because Garrison asked me to be a part of a young artist show that they did every year when I was fifteen.
1: Wow. Um, so you've been on you you were on it a number of times. There's some comfort to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And. He kept having having me on more and more. The only hint he ever gave me, and I don't think I don't think it was ever like filed back in the back of his mind until right at, probably a couple moments yeah. before he called me. But but this one time, I played uh, sat in with the house band at Tanglewood. Um, weirdly, the, the the night after I met Claire, my wife. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, and Garrison, after that show, he had had me tell this little story about meeting Bill Monroe on on that. Yeah. On that uh episode of Prayer Home Companion and afterwards he said, Oh Krista, the people like it when you tell that story. You should do more of that. And, and I was just like
1: what? Okay.
2: Okay. and that was that was the end of it. Um but Garrison had always been uh for me one of these uh you know, one of these people like like Greg Maddox, like yeah. like like you know, Ed, Edgar Meyer, Yo-Yo Ma, Roger Federer, right, uh, one Allison Krauss, Gillian Welch, in one of these, yeah. one of these people that I that I look to as here's a person that makes something and shares it with people and kind of helps us figure our stuff out along the yeah, way, yeah, you yeah. know, and like what you're talking about with that show as you're finding your footing in in the in in this industry um, slash art form, uh, that that's what I think that show. Uh, has done for a lot of people over the years, and when Garrison called me, saying, "I think you know, I think I'm coming in for a landing. Do you, yeah. Would you be interested in in carrying the torch?" Um, you know, my mind flashed through that show, through Mister Rogers' Neighborhood, yeah. for instance, which was so absolutely huge for me. Um, Austin City Limits, these things that that uh, that help us make it yeah yeah <laughs> you know, through through our year through our week through our year uh through our lives um the idea of having this this two hours with the country um every every week and and my so claire we, we yeah. knew claire was pregnant with calvin i'm starting to think about like i don't want to be gone 200 days a year for the right Touring. Know, yeah. until my hands give out or whatever <laughs> you know uh i i so, thinking about the opportunity to do a show that, you know, would have a home base and right. you know, maybe it would still tour some, but but like maybe we could live wherever it is and, um, and in essence the you know the audience can we can all just meet in the in the air yeah, yeah, yeah. you know or and now it streams on the internet and and all that kind of thing, um, but mainly that 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 idea of here here are two hours. Um, sound is what i like making sound that's that's what i do and i yeah. love it when other people do and i i get so excited when when i hear this or that thing and i just want to show it to everyone yeah um which is you know i feel like that's your gig too it's like you you get excited about a thing that you taste and then you show it to us um and that huh. to me uh is one of those bright spots about humanity is like so there's all these things and we're so focused right now on all the things that we do poorly uh we see a lot of evidence of the things that
1: we do poorly uh you know it's easy to spend time talking about you know the things that need work the things that
2: need work and 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 but i think it can give us the strength to work on those things um thinking about the things that we do well and one of the things that we do perhaps the best in the animal kingdom is make a beautiful thing and share it with yeah. our fellow human beings. Um, I feel like that kind of sets us apart in a really beautiful way. And if we can focus on that, then we can address uh, the myriad yeah. issues that we're having.
1: Well, it's such, I, that's a great point. You know, I made a, I think it was your first show. I, I was coming back from an event, uh, I think in Mississippi. So this was maybe October, I think uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago. And um, I, I knew your show was coming on, so I you know made a point to, to try and listen to it because um, I was like, I can't wait to see what's what it's going to be, you know. <laughs> um, and I think you had Jack White yes, on that show, right? That's
2: right. It was and, Jack White and uh, Lake Street Dive. Yeah,
1: and so they did that song "Lonely, but I Ain't That Lonely Yet." Yes, kind of thing which is it's a fun little song, you know, fun tune. With I had Margo never heard. Price, it. Yeah, with
2: Margo Price, who he brought up kind of as a surprise that yeah.
1: day, and she had been here, so I was like, oh, this is you know should uh, Bennett Blackberry. And, um, I'd never heard that song before. And now, I mean, to this day, it's one of my favorite, just, I love that song, that's you a know, great lyric, and man. I got to, it is right. It's such a good lyric, that, that hook. Oh, like, that's what country music's about right there. Yeah. I'm you lonely, know, to hear it from him. But yeah.
2: I ain't that lonely yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's sort of like, I, I mean, I love, you know, sarcasm and, um, it just, it, it struck a chord with me. Yeah. Um, but you introduced it to me through that show, so oh, I mean man. you know I don't know that I would have found it on my own, just mm-hmm. like you know you're saying like some people wouldn't find a wine unless I showed it to them or, totally uh, exactly so I'd never thought about it that way, so uh, it's so neat that you get to do that you know that way that that's the that's the the most um
2: you know whenever i it's a lot of work putting on that kind of show then like watching watching you and the team here put together this new this new property, which is so extraordinary. And like that, there's so much that goes into making a new yes. thing and you can get, you can get tired, <laughs> and, yeah. but hearing a story like that, 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 that song now means something to you yeah. and that you heard it on our show. Um, or I mean, God, the, the myriad wines that, that you've introduced me to, or, or, um, you know, Armagnac's, whatever sure, it is yeah. like that. And that, that those, we can give each other these little things that help us get through, um, so you give whenever me fuel to, yeah. to make to make the radio show and the people that I meet out out in the world. Like whenever someone does something uh, and shares it with another person, you, you've just given them fuel for that day, um, or Absolutely. for that week. Um, and and I feel like uh, as long as we just keep that that whirlpool of of making things, sharing things, going, we can start to address all of the all of these you know things that, that we have to get
1: better at uh, to.
2: Stay healthy as a species, as a planet. Yeah,
1: I love that, and I think uh, it's a great—I think—note maybe to to close on. You know, if we can keep giving each other strength, we'll keep getting better. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Andy. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Blackberry Podcast. Continue following the journey wherever you subscribe. Thank you to our guests interviewers and audience dive into more stories videos photos and podcast episodes on theblackberrymagazine.com make a great day